Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Coleman, once again, sitting in Snake and Jake's Christmas Club Lounge, the heart of the Clempire, with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Thank you. Dun, 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 dun. I like it. Yeah. Cute. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, man. That's, man Manny, Manny Chevrolet on the uh, the lozenge solo. He's taking lozenge breaks there. That's yeah. uh, what's a, happening. A little bit under the weather, huh? Yeah. Oh, well. I got sick over the weekend. It's oh, not man. COVID or anything. It's right, just right. I got sick with a cold or something. Just the phone. Oh well. Yeah. Well, we appreciate your uh, your uh, your your stamina, your determination to come out and make it for what will be the first show of twenty twenty four. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So uh, you were out uh, over Christmas. You went to parties. You were exposed to uh, any number of uh, pathogens. I guess so. Uh, okay. I don't know. I wasn't. I didn't actually go. I went to one party last night, but I I, I was sick before last night, so um, I went to it because it was the annual thing, the Christmas party at our former guest. Uh, um, Caroline Valencia and her husband. Oh, okay. They he's a he's them. a chef, huh? Mm-hmm. They have yeah, all he's kind a of good chef. Extravagant uh, meals. There. Well, he does a theme every year for hmm. Christmas. Uh, it's it's whatever country. It's like Greek mm-hmm. or Mexican or Chinese or Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Italian. And uh, last night, though, he decided to try to do New Orleans. Huh, okay. And he did a pretty good job. All right, uh, well. He did a turducken without the bones. Hmm. Boneless was, turducken. Uh, huh? Yeah, which was very good. He's a good cook. He's a very good cook. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, that was fun. And uh, it was, you know, it's, it's a tradition, I guess. What's going on with you? Oh, not too much. Uh, I had uh, Christmas <laughs> over at my uh, my brother's house it was a, a sedate affair everybody was uh, I thought you did Chinese on Christmas well that was Christmas Eve I did that and then uh, then uh, on Christmas Day we did go to Five Happiness uh, went there with our old buddy Scott Ploche and and uh, it was uh, I'm not sure if it was the timing of our arrival we were kind of there in the like two to three o'clock time uh, frame and it was not as bustling as it had been in years past. So what, I don't know. In the afternoon? Yeah. Well, of course it's not going to be bustling <laughs> at two or three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, no. I mean, it's I've seen it there where it's it's packed with people, like where you you can barely stand in the uh, the the foyer area there by the bar, uh, like all day long. So, uh-huh. but maybe I just timed it well because uh, they I was with a smaller party, so they don't accept reservations. So I was trying to catch it at a time where it wouldn't be uh, peak. Okay. So, but uh, that, was, that was pleasant. Uh, saw, saw some people I knew, but uh, what I did notice, there was a lot of Gentiles there. A lot of, 
So I don't know if they're, they're trying to get in on the act, too. Well, they're doing the Christmas story uh, dinner. Uh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. See, it's, I never saw that movie. Oh, it's worth it. Yeah. Oh, it's a great movie. Is it? Yeah. yeah, that's what everybody says. Now, I, I was now, in, do they have Peking duck at Five Happiness? <laughs> they do. They do. And do you eat that? I've never had that. Why not? It's great. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's something that you have to. Uh, it takes a long time to prepare, from what I understand. Right? You have to order it in advance. Is that correct? I have no idea. Oh, okay. Five yeah. Happiness. I mean, they're pretty fast foods. I you think they'd have it real quick? Yeah, maybe so. Um, yeah, I'm uh, not much of a, a <coughs> duck uh, uh, fan. I mean, I, I I will eat duck sometimes, but it wouldn't be my first choice. You know, it's a little bit rich for me. Uh, all right. Okay. So anyway, it was uh, it was that was pleasant. Uh, went and rode around uh, the night before, uh, uh, looking at, at uh, looking for Christmas lights that people might have decorating their houses. Going old school, you know, like you got to do that, man. But uh, yeah. didn't why? Well, just something You're a to Jew. do. Why would you do that? Just to see the lights. Uh, I, my, I have eyes. Uh, you like to see the lights that people have up. It's entertaining, you know. Something different. It's free. <laughs> well, of course, you're the cheap fuck that you are. It's uh, well, yeah. it's, you know, that goes yeah. back to that's that's like uh, as a kid, my parents, you know, that was a, an activity. Put you in the car and go drive around, <laughs> look at decorations. If nothing else, you got you got sleepy, you went to bed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's pleasant there enough, you, you know. But uh, didn't so see your a whole lot. Parents were cheap too. Well, they didn't I mean, put their own lights yeah, up. my father was a school teacher and a musician. Yeah, so it's when you say cheap. Uh, we were frugal because we had to be. So that's that's the same. That's where your I got it from. Didn't put your own lights up on their house. Um, I can't remember having a bunch of lights outside. They would Did have you have a tree. They have a tree inside, and they decorate the tree, and they have lights on the tree. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But uh, but anyway, didn't see a whole lot of lights, even like on St. Charles Avenue. You know, it's not like Metairie. You got to go to, I guess, uh, yeah. you know, Al Copeland, the old days, you know, the uh, originator of Popeye's fried chicken. He had the light display that would be so attended, they'd have traffic jams on the way there. The neighbors would complain every year. Absolutely. They'd have cops out there, man, right, directing right, traffic. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the lights, to be honest with you. Anyway, well, you would have been fine because there, there wasn't a whole lot out there. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I saw this uh, this movie, uh, uh, Maestro. Did you see that, man? It came out uh, about uh, Leonard Bernstein. No, uh, I didn't see it. Bradley I heard Cooper. about it. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah. Well, it's. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. <laughs> you went and saw it in the theater. No, no, it's on Netflix. It's uh, uh -huh. it's it's there. And, and but uh, one thing that I noticed uh, right away was. Uh, Every single scene, uh, Bradley Cooper as Leonard Bernstein has a cigarette in his hand. He's constantly uh -huh. smoking every scene. The wife, too. Oh, um, okay. But what quickly jumped out at me is every time they're in a scene with a cigarette, it's always a brand new cigarette. So, well, that's a continuity's problem in production. That's right, a continuity right. problem. A, there, there's always someone on the set who's a continuity person sure. who says, well, wait a minute. He just took a bite of that burger, and now we got to retake it so that we have to get a full burger again. Right. That's a continuity problem. And that's his problem because he's the director of the film, isn't he? Um, I think he was. Yeah, and he put on a prosthetic snoz for it, didn't he? Uh, yes, yes. It, yeah. uh, he looked amazingly like uh, Leonard Bernstein, i got to say. The, the resemblance was, uh, was striking. But, uh, but yeah, that just caught my... And, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if, 
you know, I don't think the cigarette thing was a mistake. I think that's something that they knew they were doing. It's just it, the movie is a bit gimmicky. There's a, a, a number of things about it. Like when it starts off, they're uh, using this this uh, rhythm of dialogue, which is real snappy and real fast and, and very much like the movies of the era in which this time period is that they're Well, portrayed. he was a coke fiend, wasn't he? Um, I thought he was a coke fiend. Well, not certainly not at the the time of the beginning of the movie where they're doing all that that snappy dialogue. Oh, okay. Uh, I I can't even remember. But perhaps at the end, uh, yeah, there's some of that shows up in the movie. You know, they're kind of selective about what they portray, uh, in, uh, what parts of his life. Obviously, in a, you know, it's a, a hour and a half long movie. You have to pick your spots. But uh, but yeah, the cigarette thing. It made me want to smoke cigarettes again because especially when you see that brand new lit cigarette, that's always a, such a hopeful, optimistic moment. You know, it's the brand new cigarette. Anything's possible. Is that first drag <laughs> the best one? Well, it it, it, it's it's nice and clean. They're all good, you know. Right. But uh, yeah. but but it, it's uh, I would have liked to have seen uh, at some point like the the real fiendish last few drags off of the uh, the cigarette, you know, with the big long ash on it, you know, just sucking those down. <laughs> and then lighting the next one with yeah. the butt. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, that didn't ever show up. But something I noticed, something to keep an eye out. Uh, for when you do see the movie. It's not on my top 10 list to see right now. Did you uh, see anything while in the break here? Or? No, I haven't okay. seen anything. What do you but have? I did, uh, I did, I did, uh, are you a Amazon, uh, you get Amazon, right? Um, I, I, I don't have, uh, uh, like, uh, I don't usually order packages from Amazon. Oh, so you're not uh, an Amazon Prime member. I'm not. All right, because if you were... Or if you just were an Amazon person, you could buy your Barbara Streisand audiobook for like 12 bucks instead of waiting three months for it. <laughs> the guy gets a library card because he's too cheap to buy the audiobook. Look, I just finished the, uh, the Sly Stone audiobook today and uh, turned it back in. So yeah, it's, it's, well, uh, the library card is already paying off. I yeah, wasn't... and I heard Sly Stone doesn't use verbs in his audiobook. Is that true? <laughs> uh, they had all, all the parts of speech in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah I yeah, guess yeah. so. Yeah. But yeah, I was li- I, you know, so I, I got the audiobook, the Streisand book. Because it only cost me like ten bucks. Okay. And it's forty-eight hours long. I know. Yeah. Forty-eight hours. Forty-eight yeah. hours long. Wow. So I'm thinking this guy wants to. He's such a fan that he just wants to jerk off to the audio version of that's, it. That's that's a yeah. long that's a long time, man. Yeah. It's a long time to jerk off. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm hours. thinking. Yeah. I, I don't know. You know. But well, I mean, once again, fresh hits. You know. Every yeah. Time, but right? I mean, uh, it, it, I listened to like the first half hour and I was just like so annoyed. <laughs> She's got a, such an annoying voice. <laughs> She on the yeah. Oh, well, I haven't heard it yet, but uh, oh god, it's well, annoying. Well, I mean, and I, I'm not going to spend. I mean, I'll give it to you if you want. You know, he's too cheap though. He well, sure. I mean, you sure. know, How he's do too you, cheap because he wouldn't is, got a library card. Well, I, I actually commend you, man. He's just on the very uh, uh, premise that you're going out after this uh, recent <coughs> culture here. You know. What I mean, culture? she's riding a wave, man. What she's she's getting up there, right? Well, Manny, she's done Manny's a doing, of, it, well, doing it out of spite. She's getting up there, you know, just like uh, De Niro and Pacino had kids when they were in their eighties. She's having a kid too in her eighties. You <laughs> Come know on. that? No yeah. way, no. Yeah, oh, and she man. talks about it in the introduction. Well. You know, she's you know they have these sound effects of a birth. Uh, it's crazy going nuts. <laughs> wow, it's more more than I expected. Yes, exactly. yeah. Yeah. She okay. talks about the blood. Huh, the okay. blood, you know. But anyway. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, something to look uh, forward you just, to. You can wait your nine weeks. Yeah. Thank you. 
<laughs> you won't, you won't See, have to fill up just, your library card. Man, he just got one. it out of spite. That's that's, uh, that's, that's his whole his whole motivation for that. Um, no, I got it out of because uh, it, it was I'm an Amazon Prime member. But are it was you ten a, bucks? It was but ten bucks. But you, it's are too you, cheap are you to buy fan? it for twenty five. I mean, are, <laughs> are you a fan of uh, Barbara Streisand? Yeah, she's all right. Okay, I all like right. her songs. I really don't care for her acting. I think her acting sucks. Hmm. Okay, um, but I'm curious because you know she did porno in the '60s. <laughs> no way. Yeah, she did. She did porno with Chuck Connors, the Rifle Man. Yeah, and there's a reason they call him the word. Yeah. I'll tell you. Huh? Did she talk about that in the? Uh, well, I haven't gotten there yet. Okay, I don't think she's going to talk about it because she's a okay. good Jewish girl. She's not going to say that. I don't think All she's right. going to talk That's about a, it. Going to be discreet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, I guess sure. I don't know, but right. yeah, she used to do porno huh. in the early. Yeah, 60s. I've never heard that, but uh, no, it's true. Okay. In fact, um, she probably bought the rights, but there was at a time footage you could see of her, like you know. Uh, Fucking other guys in these in these porno films. Huh. Well, uh, you know, I saw there was a, an article about uh, the the Airbnb, the ongoing uh, suit that the the city council keeps trying to regulate these Airbnbs. Everybody's saying, oh, you know, they're out of control. They're destroying all the neighborhoods. I have one right next to me. We've talked about it on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw. So they have a judge who just has. Uh, you know, keeps uh, saying, "Well, this uh, ordinance is not doesn't meet constitutional muster, and uh, we have to come back and review it, and you're going to rewrite it." And in the meantime, the city has suspended any enforcement at all, so they're not enforcing. You know, so as a as a result of that, we have like a thousand permits that yeah. are out there for Airbnbs. At the same time, we have five thousand. Uh, units for rent in the city operating now operating now yeah right. yeah so we have 4000 uh, unregulated unlicensed airbnbs that are operating with uh, with you know the city's like fine with that so hmm. I, mean, I thought that was interesting that uh, it's a, it's a it's a quandary it's part of the quandary, course. especially in a city like this but well, what did you expect man they're not going to enforce it nothing's enforced in this fucking town man yeah, I did see that they were uh, investing five million dollars in a new uh, recycling initiative to to get people to recycle. And uh, as uh, they they had some statistics, like uh, some cities, they have thirty uh, percent of the 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 waste gets diverted to recycling. Some places, the best ones have like seventy percent of the mass. Oh, in, wow. in New Orleans, it's 2%. 2%. Yes. Well, I think I said this last year. Recycling's the biggest scam on America uh, since the Dewey Decimal System, it, it, man. It does, to be, it does seem to be, uh, uh, you know, rife with... Uh, it has uh, the word DuPont uh, all over it, man. DuPont is the one who started this whole recycling scam, you know? Yes, it seems like it's a, another way to extract money from the population and uh, and divert it to uh, corporate forces, perhaps organized crime. There you go. Notoriously involved in the sanitation business for many years. But uh, I don't know. I don't know that for a fact. I just have an idea about it. Well, uh, you know, you know, uh, this tuba player friend of mine, uh, back right after, when, you remember when we had to bring our recycling out there on Franklin Avenue? 
because because they weren't doing it curbside. So for a minute, well, I'm, well I'm, hmm. here I am talking to two okay. guys because I don't think you've ever recycled anything in your well, life. Well, no, I have a bin. I put stuff in and it. It's okay. I, I, I think it's, it probably goes. I think it probably goes to the the uh, the the same place as all the garbage well, goes. This fella, this hmm. fella tuba player, used to follow the recycling truck, and he would follow it to. They the go to the, this, the same yeah. same landfill. Yeah, yeah. that well. was kind of after Katrina when things were starting to get normal again. You know, just starting. Yeah, yeah. Everything yeah. was still gray, but there was stuff functioning. You know. Yeah, and then you hear like uh, even at at an actual recycling place, they show you, oh, you know, people throw all the stuff in there that's not recyclable. It's all the stuff that's got food on it. Oh, yeah. It all has to come out. It's, well, that's it's it. You can't huge... recycle anything that has food on it. Right, 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 right. And then but, there's like. There's the numbers. There's a one. There's a two, three, and four. And this city only does, I think, two and three. Yeah. You know, and they don't do glass, right? Which is basically what I have. I have tons of glass. But people gotcha. throw people throw everything into their recycling oh, yeah. bin. You know, but so yeah, it's just a huge uh, no, waste I, of money to, you know, to, to deal with all that stuff. It depends it on user it's participation. Right, right. It's a scam. We man. can't have that. It's another Chinese scam because all that recycling uh, goes to the Chinese. They ship it all out to China. And like Renee said, there's some money flowing somewhere, so you've got to get in the chain, man. Chinese, man. They're crazy people, those Chinese. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. They make good Christmas dinner. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Those are the ones in America. Well, uh, China, they eat dog on Christmas uh, Eve. Okay, all right. Delicacy. Um, well, uh, Manny, you got anything else? Should we get to our guest here? Yeah, let's get to our guest, because I only have a few more minutes left in me. Okay. All right. As Manny hangs on for dear life here, we'll get to the guest. He's a guy I've known uh, for my, my whole professional life. He's uh, a... Which is, uh, what, six years? Uh, <laughs> seems like it's gone by quickly. But, uh, no, since, uh, since I'm a... a, a Teenager, he's a terrific mm. uh, lead alto player, alto saxophone player, master woodwind, multi instrumentalist. Also plays flute, clarinet, piccolo, bass clarinet, all the saxophones. Uh, he played uh, for a number of years in the Blue Room Band, uh, famous uh, supper club at the Fairmont Roosevelt Hotel that operated for 50 years there. Uh, also played in the the New Orleans uh, Contemporary Art Center Jazz Orchestra, yeah. as well as uh, he played many Broadway shows here in New Orleans, uh, touring companies of those, television, movie soundtracks, other theater shows, Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga, Natalie Cole, and recorded with uh, Gatemouth Brown, Al Boletto, Ruth Brown, Alan Robinson. We're going to get into all that and much more, but without further ado, the great Mr. Ray Moore. Welcome, Ray. Well, thank you very much, Renee. Greetings on this uh, this Boxing Day. It uh, is Boxing Day. You know, uh, yeah, there are no boxes present. Uh, 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 this this will be our first show of the year because it'll come out right after uh, uh, New Year's. So Happy oh, New right. Year's to everybody out there. Yeah. But uh, but yes, this is we are sitting. It's it's right in the seam of the year. I like to think of it. You know, right in that. At, uh, right between Christmas and New Year's there. So, Ray, so, uh, you know, for some reason I always thought you were like a, a Dallas guy, but no. you're actually from Lafayette. Lafayette, man. Grew huh. up in Lafayette, and uh, both my parents were transplants. My, my dad was born in a little town in North Louisiana called Mansfield, Louisiana, just below Shreveport. My mama was born out in Kendall, Louisiana, in the middle, literally in the middle of a rice field. And, uh, her mother died when she was extremely young, like about six weeks old. She went to live in Houston. 
So she had a little bit of a draw. Okay, know? so now I see, you know, I feel like like uh, Shreveport is kind of Dallas-esque, you know. Uh, <laughs> Don't insult them, man. So, well, well uh, so culturally I'm, speaking, like they, in Shreveport, they, they root for the Cowboys. Well, it's on 20. Right, right. Well, Straight I understand shot. why they do it. So, yeah. okay, now it makes sense. Your parents... Uh, but I've never a, rooted for the Cowboys. I, I, I'm not saying so you, you, you shouldn't generalize. No, so. no, I'm just getting... You know, I just have a, a sense of you. You know, in fact, I, I, I used to think, I wonder why Ray didn't go to North Texas State. That's <laughs> what I used to think. Because <laughs> I don't think I could have got in. Okay, but but so you grew up in, in Lafayette. In Lafayette, now, Louisiana, on the wrong side of town. Now, uh, what, what was your uh, school? Where, did you start playing music in school? Oh, yeah, man. Well, that's, you know, like most, like many of us, was got piano lessons at seven, you know. and uh, Musical family? Your parents played? My mama played in church. Okay. And my dad had, uh, had tried the trombone at one point, but was, was really more into sports at that time. And then he went into the Navy. Uh, he was 17 when he, when he signed up, you know, so. But he... He came out of that and actually served in the peacetime navy because the bomb was dropped during his basic training. So anyway, no mus- no serious musical family, but my mother did play. She played well. Okay, so so you're in school. You're interested in yeah, playing I'm interested what, in music, what? you know, and, and and playing piano and kind of digging on that. And but uh, it really wasn't the thing. So you know how you get that meeting when you're in fifth grade and they they say, hey, that we're uh, it's time to to uh, get people to come and join the school band. So come on over and we'll fit you with an instrument and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they for woodwind players and everybody, they take a look at your teeth, you know, and they said, oh, I think you ought to play saxophone. And, you know, this lady was right. She's a damn good clarinet player herself. And then... Huh, by looking at your teeth? Yeah, well, you have... Yeah, your bite, make sure yeah, you have you a have good bite. Kind of serious, yeah, yeah, serious overbite or underbite or right, something. Right, right. It may not be good for brass, because you need that to kind of meet uh-huh. up right with right. your chops. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, okay, interesting. So, yeah, and like, I don't like know. And, if you, and yeah. they, they want to see if you've got them. Yeah. <laughs> right, because, yeah. you know, you could always go the double embouchure. Well, but you know, anyway. that was uh, alto was my first instrument. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, because your dad was a saxophone My father's a saxophone yeah, player. They gave me an alto as a birthday present. I was not lo- asking for one. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> How'd that go? Uh, well, you know, I got over it and, uh, you know, got over the hump and, uh, you know, learned to, to like practicing. I excelled at it. But I played for several years before I realized that everybody else was putting their top teeth on the mouthpiece. Oh, wow. I, I played like with that French armature. Yeah, yeah. And you're ahead I, of your time. I, I didn't know that that's and and when I when my father said, "Wait, what are you doing?" <laughs> you, he goes, he goes, "Oh no, I, you put your teeth right on." I said, "I couldn't stand the way it vibrated my yeah, teeth." Yeah, a lot of folks talk about so that. So I actually started getting a, those little rubber pads, pad, those little so you, cushion. It, yeah. But then anyway, we, we but then, and it would not have sounded the same in some of those early groups you played in. Well, I'm just talking about when I was seven and eight. Oh, that's right. Years you weren't, old. You weren't working yet and hanging out. And yeah. I didn't. I never played saxophone on a, on a uh, on a gig. I didn't know that though. No, man. no, that's that was, cool. That was because, uh, and then I studied piano after that and started playing bass after that. And then I went, okay, well, this is something I can do. But anyway, so you're playing alto. Yeah. And started on alto. School yeah. band now. It's a traditional. It's sure. Saxophone yeah, band. yeah. No, so so Lafayette has some some great mu- school music programs like Baton Rouge has that Baton Rouge High School. There's one of those in uh, Oh, yeah, the Lafayette, Magnet School right? you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in Lafayette, uh, now, you know, you're talking about how old he Somebody said something about you were 64. No, no, Manny and I are 60. Okay. 
I missed it. Maybe he's talking about the temperature of that day. Anyway, um, well, I'm just a few years older than you guys. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I started um, high school in 71, and throughout the late 60s and all up, all the way up into the 80s, really, Lafayette had a very strong uh, school music program from feeders all the way through through high school. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, UL had a good band, and they had a good music department, uh, mostly classical at that point, but they, they started a jazz department then, and now they're, they're doing some pretty cool stuff with, like, uh, different types of regional combos and things like that in, the, in a degree. Yeah. So you can go and check out a bunch of stuff, and I think that's good, but more on that later. Um, yeah, so, man, I went to this school named uh, called Northside High School. It happened to be around the corner from my from my house and we could actually walk through this old field to get to school in the morning but we were considered on the wrong side of town okay in lafayette and the powerhouse schools were lafayette high school and acadiana and then they had they had lots of uh, resources okay but we had some kids that could play and i had this band director for my first two years uh lewis jewett and he was the guy that nobody really liked because he was serious as a heart attack. Yeah. yeah. You know, he wanted you to learn how to play music. And if you weren't there to learn how to play music, just don't bother. Uh, but one of the best things he ever told me was, I don't understand why people, when you play something wrong, you take your horn and you look at your horn as, as though that's the problem. <laughs> he says, no. He says, you got to look in the mirror. There you go. And um, anyway, so a lot of people didn't like that kind of attitude. So yep. in this field that you would walk through to go to school, is that was a lot of uh, bodies buried there, or <laughs> a lot of banging going on in those fields, high school uh, banging? Well, yeah, there were remnants of banging, you know, and, yeah. and uh, mostly just like raccoon jaws and things like that. Okay, so so no, you didn't have human rem- No, sorry to disappoint you there. Uh, okay, but now, who knows? there's an Air Force base there, isn't there? No. No? No, I don't think there's ever been an Air Force base. Petroleum Helicopters was there for a long uh, time. Where are you from again? Lafayette, Louisiana. That's up north? No, man, that's an hour, hour and a half west here. In oh, just, just so just why would Baton you think Rouge. he's from Dallas? Well, because well, he has... Yeah, he uh, said he, you're from Dallas. Well, in fact, we, we, we got to how I think that it's just a certain, I don't know, uh, drawl or a certain bearing. There's something, uh, you know. I guess I have, you know. I Maybe actually, I'm wrong. It's just tr- out of nothing. Uh, okay, yeah. my parents, neither one had a Cajun accent, right? Because if you're from Lafayette, a lot of folks, way back in the day, it was worse. And now it's kind of filtering like many accents right, around yeah. the country. Yeah, exactly, Filtering out. You know. So, no. And uh, in, in my parents did not. My mother had a little bit of a draw. My father had a little bit of a draw. Um, all their relatives lived in uh, North and West Louisiana. Uh, yeah, I think. So, I, so I, there you I, go. I think. I, mean, uh, I think you know, my ear is pretty accurate, actually. I think. I think it's impressive, Renee. But I, well, I, I've you. never doubted your ear. Oh. <laughs> I remember we did some weird. This is this is getting off your page here, but we did some weird jams a couple of times at Loyola. Okay. With some guys that were pretty experimental. I'm pretty sure you were part of some of those. Okay. And, a, and, and possibly the Clements brothers. Okay. Well, that's, that sounds like a possibility. Yeah. During the right. 70s, early 70s. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, uh, late seven, early 80s. <laughs> was it early 80s already? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, late 70s. Late time, 70s. Time compresses. You'll there. see. Right, you've, right, right. you've got a few, few more years, but you'll see. So you, you have a good experience there, great band director. Fantastic so guy. it's, uh, you yeah. know, so many times uh, have people on. It's like one or two people make all the difference in, in their their professional development. They're getting serious about the instrument, understanding what the what kind of commitment this really is that that's required. 
so you get to Loyola. Now, how does that? You get recruited by uh, Joe Bear from uh, from uh, Lafayette. Uh, actually, yes, that was part of it. Uh, I went and auditioned at a school up in Ruston, okay, Louisiana, uh, Louisiana Tech, and um, of course I also went down to Loyola, and I really wanted to play. Uh, in New Orleans, you know, to be in New Orleans, to be able to go to school in New Orleans, the Ruston atmosphere would just not anything. Yeah, you made you I made the right decision, man. You, know. <laughs> you don't want to go to Ruston. <laughs> no, I mean, there's there's great places everywhere, and there's you know, my my wife went to school at Tech, actually, quite quite a distance apart. Yeah, but you're trying to play saxophone. You don't want to go yeah. to Ruston. No, you know, and I needed the places the to play, and there were no yes. places to play. And of course, in Lafayette, there's great places to play. You know. Now you're already playing in Lafayette. You're playing in bands okay, there. I had a little bit of of jazz experience, but it was mostly out. Hmm. Um, so I played out before I learned to play in. Oh, huh. And uh, I don't think I'm the only guy like that for sure. But no, so that was in about '73, and I also played in a cover band. Ah, uh -huh. okay. So we played proms and you know nightclubs and stuff. Right on. That's yeah. that's when you were in uh, high school. I was I'm in guessing? high school. Yes. Right, yeah. Right, sorry. Right. I, yeah. Junior year, they had to uh, had to rig a deal. Uh, they get me in the back door, and I couldn't go to the bar. Sure. You know, not supposed a, to go to the bar, but I mean, no, I you, didn't. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't, but I had a trumpet player buddy who wanted to make sure I came up right. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it was uh, a gay bar. <laughs> no, it. <laughs> That's Who why knows? you couldn't go to the bar. You were gay, and they wouldn't let you in the bar. No, I was young. Oh, was you were young. Underage. underage. Okay, underage. No, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm... Uh, not, not Who are you again? Check. What's your name? I'm not sure. It's the great Ray Moore. Ray Moore. My friend Rick Scholson would call me Yar Erum. Who? Yar Erum. Who would call you that? Rick Trollson, wonderful trombonist. Oh, he, he, he likes, he likes, uh, it has the band Nestlort. He likes, exactly, likes which... to read words backwards. Yes, I understand. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so, uh, so you get to Loyola, um, Loyola at that time, it was kind of the, uh, the tail end of, of them, maybe not quite the tail end, but, but Loyola was training people for jobs in the music business, which would soon not exist for the most part. Um, I saw it not exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I'm saying you were, yeah, you were there when when they had no idea that that this was that you know they thought like studio orchestras and the jingle business with guys sitting and reading the spots off the page, uh, you know, eight hours a day. Shows always coming through town. Yeah, big they, rooms. They thought that know. would last yeah. forever. Yeah. So you know they're yeah. training us all to do that. Now, as I was in the middle of this training, I could see. Oh, what do you guys? <laughs> you think this is good? This is going to keep going like this. <laughs> I mean, not that I was any genius; it just seemed so obvious. But you know, there, of course, these institutions move slowly. But you were trained, and uh, in, in that, I was a good reader when I got there. Okay, I was a good reader, and that had always been a talent. So that was another thing that that uh, you know helped me to get in. I didn't have a very big scholarship, and I was very fortunate that my parents were able to. Put me through Loyola. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was uh, extremely fortunate. Well, you were a guy who always seemed very serious. So the 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 <laughs> idea that that your parents were actually who am I again? Uh, As a good reader, do you like audiobooks? <laughs> 
I like to read the liner notes on audiobooks. Oh. That's about as far as I get. Yeah. Unfortunately, okay. I'm not a big reader. Yeah. yeah. Liner notes, though, all about liner notes. Go ahead. Now, were you in the jazz program or? I was a music ed major. Okay. Playing it safe. That wonderful band director, Lewis Jewett, told me that, and he's right about it, uh, you've, you've done a good job. You and the iguanas, all you guys are sitting nice now, you know, and I'm proud of you. Oh, each, and every, you. I'm, each and every one of you. So at Loyola, you, you, you stayed in the dorms? For a minute, yeah, sure did, man. Yeah. Beaver Hall. Yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty bad dorms over there. Yeah. I don't know. Define bad dorms. You were happy to be out of your parents' house yeah. and, and living on your own somewhere, I imagine. No, Beaver yeah, and a Catholic you know, college, that kind of uh, goes... Yeah, you know, and I was a Methodist. So yeah, you were a I Methodist. Work, yeah, yeah. I need therapy. Do the math there on that. Go. Yeah, yeah. Right. Now, but you got married uh, quite early while you were at Loyola, so the whole time I, I knew you... What do you, you know were, about that, Renee? I mean, I just... <laughs> I remember Did you. he sleep with your wife? No. No. No? No, no, no. no. Well, maybe he did. I maybe know. he We're did. We're not going to go there. I'm sure you I We're did not. not. Go I'm no. sure you yeah, I did Yeah, I did. I got married right out of school. Right nice. out of school. Nice. So yeah. you guys were a lovely couple, but you're 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 already working. You get introduced to Frankie Mann on Frankie Mann on, on uh, Joe Bear's recommendation. That's right. Joe, Joe was playing the bass player. Oh, he was playing bass in the band. Yeah. Okay. So you get exposed to the whole uh, ball scene, Mardi Gras ball exactly. scene in Hotel New Orleans. Gig. Right now, that had to blow your mind to 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 see that because it it I grew up around like go playing with my father's band, you know, being the band boy, seeing those kind of things. But I'm still fascinated by it. Anytime I wind up on one of those gigs, I love it. So talk about that. But uh, man, balls. Well. Uh I guess I was amazed by some of these guys next to me. They were named like Castigliola. Right. And, uh, Sal Castigliola. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and Bubby was, I guess, the trombone player or something. And But Sal, man, Sal, he he played such good clarinet and pretty alto. Bob Benoit, too. He's gone. Another yeah. great alto yeah, player. Yeah, he was a great alto player. Great man. alto he, player. He His son plays in, good trumpet. Yeah, yeah. Gary, yeah. yeah. He's, he, those, those, yeah but, no. yeah, so, they, so these guys, man, they had these chops, and I always... <laughs> You know, they'd tell me, oh, look, you know, we, we we used to do this tableau, man. This tableau used to be three hours long, man. You had 49, you know, debutantes and all this kind of stuff, man. You you don't know what it's like, you know. And then we did a supper dance, and we drove 65 miles in a, you know, a, a Bel Air station wagon. No, Sal didn't talk like that. For $12. For twelve, No, $12 was good money back then. What are you talking about? You know, you could buy a new suit for $12. Yeah. No, but... <laughs> no, but they were good, man. They had great chops, you know, and that's something I've always been amazed about in New Orleans because there's always been a strong tradition of of music and music teachers, even though there's a whole lot of music that just comes out of the ground and you just keep your receptors open. And then that's where we have some, so many of these fine musicians as right. well. Right. Well, yeah. even even the, the street stuff... They got teachers in the neighborhoods teaching that stuff. Yeah. It's not people making no, no. it up on their own. No, yeah, they're not making a, it up. Uh, the oral a, tradition. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Um, I always kind of fantasize about when the French Opera House was here, and you had the Creole musicians teaching you, and those cats had been had their knuckles slapped and shit. I'm sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, by the priest. I was always into pain in music. Okay. Understand, Manny? Uh, yeah. Suffering. Yeah. You embrace the suffering of it. That's All right. right. What's well, good? Because it comes there's a across lot, in your music. There's a lot, a lot of suffering inherent in it. So this is a time when uh, every event, every wedding had a band, either a small combo. The bigger weddings mm -hmm. had big bands. Mm -hmm. It's like 
tons of work. The union was in full force. Union was happening. Yeah. You know, peop, the musicians today, they, they, you know, of course, the union's been been uh, toothless since uh, they passed right to work in since the in Reagan. the 80s. Yeah. But uh, people that come here now, they've, they, they think we need to organize. We should have a union or we should join right. the union. And uh, you can't explain to them how it once operated in this way that it never will again. I mean, well, that, I, again, you talked about, I think you, maybe we were off air then, but you mentioned that. Uh, I'm, well, no, you said it earlier that I was part of a, a, a group of guys. You were on the tail, the <laughs> real tail end of it. Right. But that we were in the business when we saw the business that made the music that our parents listened to and some of the music that we had listened to as kids, we saw that going away. And the, the, well, mechanism, paradigm, the yeah. mechanism mm -hmm. by which that music was made, studio orchestras, right. TV shows, and appearances everywhere, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, records. Right. I still like records. Sure, sure. Yeah, we, yeah. Anyway. Sound like, so, uh, uh, the balls freak me out at first. Yeah, well, it's a bizarre. Just a little bit, yeah. You know, and uh, this whole social thing, but um, the masking, yes, the classism of it. You know, it's very the, racist too. It's well, a, a lot know, of maybe, oh, yes, yeah, it's very in, racist. Inherent and in I it, saw absolutely. that, and uh, and that freaked you out. It, it, later, 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 uh, because took me a while to actually see through exactly what was happening, you know, and you, I just, uh, I'd come from Lafayette, there's, we didn't have really a lot of racism in Lafayette, there was, it's a very mixed population, you know, much like New Orleans, it yeah. just, it's a, it's a color band. Yeah, continuum. And, and yeah, all yeah. of the cultures are the same, right, continuum. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, I saw that, and um, I got to where I didn't want to play Dixie. Anymore. The song Dixie. The song Dixie. It's crazy. I have been on gigs like in the last 15 years where uh, they'll pull that out at the drop of a hat. Like, wow, really? That's, mm -hmm. that's what still goes on? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, yet, and yet there are black artists who have recorded it and done well, amazing treatments of it. Sure, yeah. sure. It's so. just when you, you get the feeling when, when it gets pulled out nowadays, it's not by accident. You know, it's, there's, there's, it's, and it's, maybe I don't think it's by accident. It's, either, it's intentional. You know. Well, uh, we're kind of coming up to a break. Uh, we, we, uh, this is right in the, the, the point of the story where you're joining the, the Blue Room Band. We're going to get into to all okay, that when we come back. College, yes, yes. But for that, Manny can, uh, is, is trying to catch his wind here. Trouble Nation, as always, you know what to do.
we're back. Back without Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman, sitting here with our guest, Mr. Ray Moore. Now, uh, sadly, uh, Manny, he was trying to muscle through tonight, but uh, the, uh, the cough got the best of him. He uh, just, just couldn't, couldn't hang in there. He was trying to... And uh, valiantly, he, but valiant, yeah. a valiant effort. But uh, you know, he said, "Well, Manny, you get it. You go head home. Uh, go, you know, rest up, and uh, we will carry on without you, as 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 we are trained to do." As, as there you because of course the foundational principle of show business is play when the ship goes down. The show must go on, Ray. Come on. <laughs> Same thing. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to take over for Manny's irreverent Bre- 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 yeah. Brevity is the soul of wit. Yeah, um, so anyway, uh, so we'll get on with the business at hand. Uh, remind everyone that we do have uh, a PayPal and a Venmo link in the show notes of every show, as well as in the the pinned post on the Facebook page. And uh, the, that's for people to support the podcast. This is a listener-supported operation. Uh, we're bringing you shows uh, week in, week out, even in the theme of the year here. Uh, everybody else is taking time off. We're not taking time off. We may be shortly, but uh, th- thus, to f- thus, thus far we have not. Uh, anyway, so uh, uh, we also have the Patreon page. Uh, uh, takes all the guesswork out of supporting the show. We have a handful of patrons want to... Uh, thank them for their their continuing support, and uh, still have the uh, Trouble Men podcast T-shirts, which are available year-round. Uh, uh, you know, the, for those those uh, you want to give somebody like a Valentine's Day gift. I guess that's the next gift-giving uh, opportunity, perhaps. I'd say so. So yeah. check it out. Um, let's see. Beyond that, uh, you know, you can look down the road for the iguanas going out in late March, early. Uh, April with Sonny Landreth doing a co-bill tour for several weeks there. I think we're starting over in the Northeast and kind of wrapping around through the Ohio Valley Midwest and uh, into, uh, I think we finish off at uh, Dakota, great jazz club in Minneapolis there. So check that out on uh, iguanas.com. I have the, the link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, okay, seems like uh, enough of that. Uh, back to our guest, Mr. Ray Moore. How are you tonight, Renee? I'm good. I'm better than Manny, thankfully. Yeah, we miss him uh, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always miss Manny, you know. It's, uh, um, anyway, so, uh, so, so you're, you're playing in the Frankie Mann Band. You're, you're getting known around town. Somebody's a good reader, uh, easygoing guy, you know. You're not going to pick a lot of fights with people. You have an even temperament. Right. And uh, who, how do you get recommended for the Blue Room Band, which is like kind of the premier show band in the city, as far as like having a good gig, six nights a week, steady gig? Six nights a week, yeah. How does that happen, man? Well, it, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly, although I had uh, started subbing and playing as an extra musician. Um, most of the most of the artists would come in with a, a a piano player, MD, you know, musical director. Right. Sometimes a rhythm section, sometimes a a, a lead trumpet, but <clears throat> they'd come in with a book. They'd come have... in with a book, right? So we they'd come in as either Wednesday or Thursday. We'd have rehearsal for a couple of hours, meet the artists, and then uh, you'd. And start... this is like a fourteen-piece band. 
that that uh, you had your own rhythm section it was a dance band that would that would play uh, like uh, uh, well, supper dance set kind right. of right we'd start at 7:30 in the evening i think it was and go till 12:30 and you'd play a couple of dance sets seems like it was no one dance set then you'd bring the show up i can't remember what time shows were now and then we'd play a longer dance set in between mm. and then we'd do another show and then we'd do a little ski set sometimes we called it because that's when the people were leaving and we might get off a few minutes early oh okay yeah. so and this could be like Ella Fitzgerald uh, Carmen McRae I never got to do her show but yes but that kind of that artist kind of Ben Vereen you know yeah, pe- people exactly. of that, that nature yeah, and, yeah, yeah you know and also people like Jim Stafford uh, right yeah through. yeah yeah and you know Jim Stafford something funny about him he would never do his jokes during rehearsal yeah he would just say, ah, oh, yeah, you, so we're going to use this play in, you know, play on, play off. And uh-huh. you play on, I'll come tell a story, you know, and da-da-da. And he'd say, then when I get done, we'll do this play off. All right, fine. So it was a really short rehearsal, you know. And, he, of course, he had a couple of songs, you know, that we did, too, that were actual songs. Then he'd come on the show. He'd do the jokes. The band was laughing so hard that we <laughs> fuck up the playoff, man. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry there's no cursing on this Oh, no, show. there is all cursing on the show. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah but we'd, we'd still be laughing, man, because the guy was hilarious. Right, But right. a good guitar player. Yeah, so it was Sid Charisse. Yeah. You know, elegance. Uh, Carol Channing, uh, you know, all kind of crazy. Carol crazy Channing, things. man. You see, this is, and, and that's what I love about the Blue Room. And, and, and I envy you because, like I said, you're at the tail end of this golden era of show business where, you know, the supper clubs were still a thing. I mean, they were a thing all around the country. People would get dressed up. You'd yeah. go, you'd spend, uh, like I, I saw, like a, when the Blue Room first opened in the 30s, it was ten dollars to get in, and and so that was like dinner and dinner and a show. They said yeah. that, that was a, a equivalent to one hundred and eighty dollars. So wow. that's the now it wasn't one hundred and eighty dollars to go to the Blue Room in the in the 80s, but but it was no. not cheap. But it was not cheap, no. And but uh, people get dressed up, and you have this. Uh, now I remember as a, as a kid playing in bands that would that would be playing like one of the ballrooms or somewhere else in the hotel oh, in the okay. Fairmont Roosevelt. Yeah. That on the break, the older guys showed me how you go down to the blue room, and if you go talk to the Mater D, and you're we're all wearing tuxedos, they'd let you stick your head in and watch, you know five, ten minutes of the act. You know, you could see the Blue Room band play. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, see, I didn't do that because I was already in there. You were on the bandstand. Right, right. So I remember one time Ben Vereen was the act. Uh, I I know he played there because I saw him. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, sir. Amazing talents. Yeah, Melba Moore, man. Just these Nancy Wilson. We could go on and on about that. Well, well, so so. Uh, a lot of uh, again, you're from Lafayette, and then you're seeing Mardi Gras balls. Now yeah. you're so so. We're getting back to that story. So subbing and doing extra work, like I say, sometimes an extra saxophone, sometimes they'd hire a guitar. There was no guitar present in the band, so uh, an extra trombone. Have somebody come in and play uh-huh. bass trombone, okay? Because uh, the books respect for that, right? You know? Uh, written by some of the greatest writers out on the West Coast. You know, another day. Uh, so I did a couple, a little bit of sub work. And right then, uh, there were two brothers on the band who had both gone to uh, Southern University back in the heyday of Alvin Baptiste. Mm-hmm. Um, well, more names. Henry Butler, uh, Julius Farmer. They were yeah. both in the band. Okay. Uh, Vincent York was the alto man and woodwinds. And then uh, Antonio York was his brother. Well, Antonio was in the band. Vincent was getting ready to leave. 
So the alto chair was going to, second alto chair was going to become available. So I had been doing mostly that chair. Vincent, I think, was maybe scouting stuff or whatever, you know. So over about a six-month period or so, three, three to six-month period, I got called on. It could have been my buddy J.R. Miller, who you may or may not remember, fantastically talented trombonist from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That name His is dad. so familiar, man. Well, you remember him. If you saw him, you remember yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. he passed away two years ago. Oh, man, Way sorry. too early, yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah, we're we're in that range. The brightest man. light. What is it? The brightest lights uh, shine the hottest, or something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, uh, we, we are, are in there. We are in the drop zone, man. It's like uh, for the past past ten years, like uh, people our age. I mean, the the, the people that are that are going to go early, they start going ten You're years right. ago. You're right. Well, and it could be at any time now. <laughs> Brian O'Neill, another wonderful yeah. friend. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. So, but uh, Vincent finally moved away. Uh, didn't go anywhere. Still around. And uh, Vincent moved away, and then I was offered the chair. So right after school ended uh, in 1980, I went over there. And uh, so that, that's how it was. You know, that's, it's that whole thing about show business. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And luckily, well, I had been working with some of these guys. Some of the other, I knew some of the other guys in the band at, at that time. Steve Gerritano right. worked with his dad, who was an excellent saxophonist. And um, anyway... Yeah, Chuck Easterling was in Chuck the band Easterling. at that time. He came in a little bit later, but yes, sir. Okay, well, but then I mean, you knew these guys, but they what they knew about you is you're a great saxophone player, a great read. reader, and yeah. and but but you know it's more than you could read. You could solo, you could play in time, play in tune. It's you I know you're that, a yeah. musical player. It's yeah. uh, it's it's a lot more than that. You don't you don't wind up on the Blue Room Band because you can read. You know, there's a lot of guys that can read. No, I I I've been fortunate that I've always. Uh, had some great mentors uh, toward big band playing. Chuck well, so so Easterling was one of those guys. Chuck Easterling, yeah, and and you know, uh, Chuck Easterling famously had the the great rehearsal band at uh, at the A bar at the Absinthe Bar for years on like a, the a, a Sunday. Yeah, my right, tenure, right. My tenure at the Blue right. Room. Right, you probably played in that band, yeah. huh? The the, the, re the rehearsal band. Yeah, yeah. You, you used to come to that. Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd, I'd go watch that. Yeah, yeah. Serious band. Oh. Fuck yeah. And yeah. The, the charts that people are writing for that band, it's like, well, these are the best, uh, the best big band players in the city. Anybody can write anything for them. Let's see. You know, That's <laughs> let's right. see That's what they it. do yeah. with this. You know, Clacka, <laughs> Tony Clacka was here. Tony Clacka. Well, you know, that's that's uh, I was tight with. Tony at that time I was he, he and I were running partners all right because uh, he wound up on the on the the, uh, the Pat Barbaro band and oh I was I was playing working that I was playing bass in that band for a couple of years me and Brian Barbaro with the rhythm section and uh, Tony immediately looked over at me and you know we were we were fast friends before we even said, said a word yeah. you know you he said, he's from my planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah right. Oh, oh, you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Come with me. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, so, so you know, I wound up in all these situations. In fact, I wound up at the Buddy Rich Band's performance at the Blue Room, which you were on the band for that at that time, right? I was, I, see, here's That the, was like 82, I'm thinking. I would have been. I made a little list, because here's some other. I can't remember all these guys all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna consult my. Well, who my was notes. the who was the band leader at that there time? There you go, top of the list, baby. Did you read my notes? No, no, no. This is I do this. This I think is you read my notes. I don't. I can't read up. I can barely read anyway. right side up. <laughs> Tell me about it. That's why he listens to audio books. Yeah. Get well, Manny. 
Anyway, so Dix DeBeal. Dix DeBeal, yes. DeBeal. Yes, yes. Dix yes. DeBeal, who had been the band leader for Martin and Lewis and musical director for Martin and Lewis back in the, in the 50s. When wow, they were I didn't high. know that. He's okay. all over. You know what? He's in White Christmas. No kidding. Another show that my wife and I really go heavy on the Christmas movies. And uh, now, Dix DeBeal was the band leader at the Blue Room forever, right? Years and quite years. Quite a while. He, Leon Kellner. Now, you're talking Leon about Leon Kellner. Okay, Leon another Kellner's name goes way back. Right, right. I never right. even met Leon. But he played in what they used to call the Fountain Lounge next door, okay. which I think maybe is still a bar. It 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 just was right around the corner from the right. from the Blue Room doors, the big gold doors. Yep. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so Dick had been there through the seventies for sure, and he had led bands all, all around. And at, uh, I was told by a good buddy of mine who played in the band, and I still work with him, uh, another survivor, as it were. Let's not go there, but. Um, he uh, he held the Guinness World Book of Records uh, 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 record for what for uh, highest al- note on the alto saxophone. Who's that? Dick. Dick, really? Dick. <laughs> I mean, you know, one of those things you hear about. But now, now a guy who played on the band forever was Reed Vaughn, the drummer. Reed Vaughn, drums. It was he was a, a savant drummer, a mm-hmm. prodigy. Went out with the the uh, the Stan Kenton band very early on, maybe 17, 18 years old. What I remember about Reed was how gentle he was. Oh, he's a prince, man. You could never row Reed. Yeah. He just kind of my dad used to say, kind of went one speed, <laughs> and so he you could count on him, man, and you could count on two and four. Well, you know, I was thinking about this today because again thinking about the union you know like when the union was strong and when yeah. i was a kid my father would get the international musician and i would page through it just because it had you know like fender ads or you know just i'd look at all the pictures of yeah. instruments and read the articles and they'd have the classifieds in the back you know it'd have like the at liberty ads ah. or or uh you know advertising for a, for a post you know aver- like advertising for a symphony yeah, position yeah, yeah. or all something service bands right 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 yeah. but uh the guys at Liberty, they'd say, uh, you know, uh, plays uh, saxophone, clarinet, flute, you know, uh, sings back up, no bad habits. <laughs> I said, what is, I was rereading these. I was, I was like, you know, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine years old. I was like, no bad habits. <laughs> what do they mean? Like, you don't bite your nails? <laughs> Because I mean, you don't have a dope habit, <laughs> or an alcohol habit. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think most of the time it was uh, guys that were still that was still an era where 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 there were some guys who were great players who you know like New York guys, I guess maybe particularly like, they'd be strung out on junk, you know. Oh yeah, potentially. Yeah. Or yeah, well, all sorts of things. Like, sure, we know sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. tell you what. So let's get back because I've got a little story about that. Uh, maybe I'll tell you first. So you asked about band leaders. Yes, yep. let's not for, not forget Dick Stabile, and you can look him up. Um, he did play some fine alto, and uh, he has speaking lines on White Christmas. It okay. Maybe it's not too late to watch that. You know, it's not over, right? We're in the no, gap. no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in yeah, the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, I'll make I'll make latkes, pardon. Okay. All year round, baby. Because why not? It's they're it's delicious. Fried, they're always delicious. Vegetables. They're always I, delicious. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, but uh, Dick Stabile. After that came a fellow named Bill Clifford. Now he was ex-Navy, played violin, trombone, and sang, and uh, was a tall man, tall man, okay. tall man. And he was quite the entertainer, and he looked like he had really been around in the '30s. 
And yeah. he may have been old enough to have done that. His book was fascinating. Okay, the, his music book. Uh, we had, of course, the old stocks that your dad. Right. You've seen them. Oh yeah, and we Pat Barbara. played all that stuff with Pat Barbara. Right. I used to have all those things memorized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, you did. The, I, I didn't do the gig for as long as you, but um, and much later. Anyway, yeah. So we had the stocks. We had uh, arrangements that Bill had contributed, um, and then we had a, a book, a little book called Medley Enders. And so you would play something to get into a medley. Everybody choose a tune. You know, sure, yeah, anyway, round robin so, of yeah, guys. So a very yeah, diverse yeah, book. Yeah, right, here's, right. Here's what I was getting back to with the bad habits. Now, Bill knew he'd been in the music business forever. In fact, he came from the Blue Room in the Fairmont in San Francisco, ah. or at least the Fairmont, San Francisco. Uh huh. So he had come there from there to us, and this is right after Dick died. Dick passed in. It would probably have been '81. Because I was with the band about six months, and I thought I started in around May or June of '80. But uh, anyway, so uh, Bill Clifford came in, and he had a, such a different book. Dick's book was modern; it had big walls of sound, brass, and full, you know, full brass and, mm -hmm. and reeds and uh, contemporary things. He was doing things on Herb Alpert, you know, tunes, uh -huh. and it come back. In the 80s, you know, remember he had one on Rise. Right, right, yeah. right. So anyway, so uh, Bill came in, and we were all of a sudden cast back into the late 30s, early 40s. Oh, really? Traditional <laughs> dance band groove. But now, like the Mickey bands? Well, we did. We had some of those tunes. <laughs> but here's, again, getting back. I'm trying to circle Lester back. Lennon. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Go on. Sorry. <laughs> I got a Lester Lennon story, but not. not it's a... Degrees of separation, uh. two degrees of separation. Anyway, Bill had these parts in every book of the band on the special arrangements that he'd written. And some of them were beautiful old tunes, like this tune called Reverie, and I don't remember who the, well, the adapter was. It was off of a classical piece, you know, that was really mm -hmm. popular. And man, it had like these wild flute parts in it. That were way up and lots of notes, right? Uh huh. And it was this beautiful flourish, you know, like you'd hear a harp in an old black right, and white right, movie. right, right. And then he had a tune I remember on "Get Happy," that uh, was a clarinet feature, and it was like three octave arpeggios. <laughs> I would when we had those shows you talked about, like uh, Buddy Rich, there'd be BB King, Flora, and Ayrto. Yeah, you know, yeah, man. Uh, George Shearing. Right, so George these would be what we call self-contained shows. They would come in with all their own players. We'd sit in the back and listen right. a few nights, and the show was the same. You know, unless Frank Tiberi was there, you might not stay all week, all two weeks. We'd go off in the uh, catacombs of the stairwell uh -huh. of the hotel and practice. Ah, so you practice those parts. You know, wow, and you'd go have, off on the break and your, practice your cookies and, and uh, milk, as uh, Alberto used to say on the break, uh -huh. as musicians do. Right, and then you would go to practice those parts, and you'd make sure you could play them. Because Bill would say he knew about these bad habits in the back pages of the international. Right, system. right. He'd say, look, he says, I don't care what you do on the breaks. I don't care what you do. He said, if you show up to this gig on time in the right clothes, and you can play your part. You do whatever the hell you want. Right, right. So that was something that it was a lot of respect. He wasn't going to try to browbeat us because he'd gotten tired of that show. Right. You know, but he had a decent band and great players. Not that I tried to see how many whiskeys I might drink. Sure, no, no. You 
trying to do your job. Just uh, it's the whole milieu that you're in there. Yeah, it's, it it's, was. It, man. It's the blue room, man. This is it was, uh, you know. It was a quite a back room. There was also a door to the music library. Okay. So the door opened, you know, and there was the, where we kept the books and some other accessories, stands and mutes, stuff like that. And the back of that door was signed by all those artists oh, who man. had come through since the 50s and 60s. It was just a mass of signatures. My wife and I were, now, and by the way, this is, uh, the, this is not the wife we talked about earlier. Sure, sure, This is sure. a beautiful woman that I, that I uh, got to know about 11 years ago. Nice, congratulations. I'm happier than I've ever been. Good Thank for you. you. Good She's for a clarinet you. player. Yeah. Outstanding. So anyway, and a very good doubler as well. Nice. But uh, <laughs> uh, we were talking about it, and we said, man, this thing should have been taken off its hinges and veneered, I mean, uh, lacquered or whatever. Right, and right, I don't right. know if anybody ever did that. Yeah. But, yeah, I wonder. Who knows, yeah. man? With that, You know, like, uh, I was, again, thinking about the Blue Room and looking at pictures of it from whenever Elegant. that was Elegant. a few years ago, it's, it's kind of, they've... I don't know what it looks like today, but the pictures that, that are contemporary pictures, they don't really convey the way it used to be. No, no, with the band shell and all that stuff. Right, right, right. Yeah. And and it made me think of, there's a room on the second floor of Antoine's okay. that's called, it's a huge ballroom that's just filled with tables and then like extra chairs and they just use it as storage. Oh, no. It's okay. the Japanese room oh, or wow. the Japan room. Uh -huh. It was all totally renovated and ready to to open uh in 1940 mm. and then pearl harbor happened. happened and that was and they scuttled the uh the, the opening and never repurposed and the room they the never have wow. had anything else in the room i would I've never been i would, up in I would there. sit up in there with with like jimmy maxwell and the 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 quartet and eat dinner while the you know they'd serve in the us Japanese in, the, in a, a room that could hold like 300 people but you know so the blue room sits like that now yeah I guess yeah I, guess. I think I don't know what they're doing with it I know Tim Lachlan uh, participated in some early revivals there well they try to do it but you know like like anything whose time has uh, I mean the supper clubs uh, you know, you know yeah, it's, uh, my wife and I talk about if we had that, that money on the Powerball right now <laughs> that's what we'd do man we'd open a supper club and it would be swank dude it would be all the way men wearing hats uh, yeah. women with their hair done wear your suit man <laughs> come in looking sharp well, so uh, we need to flash forward. Go we're ahead. coming down on the on the on the uh, the, the downslope of the podcast here. So you were there in the glory days. What a classic era to have witnessed there. Now, a question I wanted to ask you: Everybody else switches to tenor after they get out of the school band, you know. Since since uh, you know, like the last guy who didn't was Cannonball Adderley, you know. Never did it. <laughs> Went to soprano. Chuck Easterling okay. would be responsible for me ever getting introduced to the tenor seriously. Because we talked about what a great band that was in the um, at the Absinthe Bar, right. we'd rehearse after we finished at the Blue Room, and um, and go in there and see the sun come up some days, but it was out of sight because the band was so killing, and I didn't play enough alto to play jazz against those guys because that was like Paul McGinley at that time who had right. been on, who who went out on the Herman Band and still. A, a marvelous doubler, working uh, working musician, uh, same kind of reading chops, taught at Loyola after I got done there. And I uh, can't remember who the other alto player was, but Traub was on tenor, 
Eric, Eric Traub. Traub. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I was on fourth tenor, man. Okay. I was happy as a clam. Just hanking on. Yeah. <laughs> right, I think it was sure. Tony Frigo and Barry then. Jason Mingledorf hadn't gotten to town yet. Right. Jason seems to either Jason or Roger grab all the uh, Barry. Barry stuff. Barry, yeah, okay. except for uh, Travari is coming on strong now. But yeah, Tony uh, Frigo was. was uh, Tony Frigo was a fine player, man. Yeah. He's back in town, but he's up in Bush. That's another story. Okay. So, yeah, and some of the other musicians that played in the Blue Room. Mm-hmm. Uh, brilliant trumpet player, uh, Umar Sharif, who sure. has another brilliant trumpet player for a son, Jamil Sharif. Yeah, I went to NOCA with Jamil. Yeah, you know, he and I are, he's like a year younger than Talk me. Talk about yeah, a musical yeah. family. So uh, we can go on to uh, Bill Huntington. My, my teacher. There you go. Yeah. And a great guitarist as well as bassist. So pick your instrument, right? When, when we were uh, he going. He couldn't deal with the Clifford uh, two beat yeah. scene, so he kind of. I said, no, nah, I don't think I'll do that as, you know, as much as you might want me to. Right, right. Well, you know, Bill, uh, like when we had uh, Angel Trosclair on the on the podcast a few weeks ago, you know, the Albaletto band, who I know you you played in, in, in Albaletto's big band later on, but the Albaletto band that that she was in, Vadakovich, uh, Frank Pizzullo at the that was the uh, the Playboy the Club. Playboy Club band. Bill Huntington was the guitar player in that oh, band. Oh man! And yeah. he's he's when I, I used I found the back of that record and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. Bill was the guitar player. Brilliant guitarist. Great guitar player. Yeah. Great bass player. Absolutely. <laughs> and a fine and a fine another gentleman. A sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. Such so, a gentle uh, soul. See, Jerry Meehan was on drums for a minute. Jerry Meehan. Jerry was a stalwart of uh, 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 Harahan. And and Jerry had been on the Wayne Cochran band. There you go. That's, that's right. That's and right. I think he had replaced, he had come after Alan Robinson on the Wayne Cocker band. We need band. Alan here. To, yes. And, well, Alan was on the show one time I early on. I was another high point there, yeah. And, uh, well, and you know, of course, Alan Robinson played in, uh, you know, Wayne Cocker and the CC Riders. He was there with Charlie Brent when they discovered Jocko together. Uh, later on, Alan uh, was a drummer in, in, in the uh, um, Luther Kent band. Again, still uh, is. Uh, run by, yes, still, still, pl- still playing with Luther. Yeah, those guys still sound great, man. Unbelievable. I'm, tr- I'm holding down the Barry chair as a present nice. for the last man, I gotta, I gotta, six I or eight years. i got to come see you guys, man. So, so Jerry Meehan, um, here's another uh, Wayne Cochran veteran, Wayne Starnes was on Ooh. trombone. Now, you might have not have known know Wayne. Guy, no. Well, he came here to play in the brew and hung out for a minute and didn't do a whole lot of other things, but he's living up in Pennsylvania still well. Um, now, a fellow that was an amazing musician who had played in the Fountain Lounge uh, with, with and also in the Blue Room with uh, Leon Kellner and then came through, went through Stabile and went was still in the band when uh, Bill Clifford came in was a fellow named Liston Johnson. Now your dad would probably remember hmm, him. Yeah, I don't don't recognize. Man, that we call either. Liston Tune Decks. Yeah, he knew every tune. He knew every tune. <laughs> and if you didn't, if somebody didn't know the bridge, Liston would sit there, you know, long enough to zip through the first two A sections and sing you the bridge. Oh, okay, that's it. Wow. He knew everything. You know this this set, this uh, guitar player Eric Robinson that was at uh, yeah. at, at Loyola with me and Got to work you know, with Eric he, yeah yeah he's yeah. great guitar player yeah, brilliant. he Another says brilliant. Uh, when he when he practices he only practices bridges 
He goes, I just practice the bridges because they're. He goes, the A sections are all pretty I much remember, the same. Yes. He goes, I can always hear the A section, you know. <laughs> he goes, the bridge is the thing you're gonna forget, man. Yeah, yeah, you will. <laughs> I thought that's so. He's such an interesting guy. And man. half the time, it's the hardest part of the song if you've got one that, that modulates and whatnot. Yeah, you know? no, I yeah. love this tune. Yeah, I've, I've been on these gigs where pe- people go, uh, you know, this tune at last. <laughs> And everybody thinks they know the tune at last. Right. Like the A is very easy. It's you, it, just like you think. It's ice cream changes, you know. Mm-hmm. And I always go, um, do, do you know where the bridge goes? Right. And they're like, um, I think so. I was like, no, you don't. No, you I'm don't, telling right. you right now. It's like, uh, <laughs> what is it? Uh, the Christmas song, Chestnuts. Yeah. That'll catch you. You got to look at that once a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so there's like, and then I know at what point it's going to be like <laughs> the fifth bar of the bridge where people are going to start looking around with a panicked look in their eyes. <laughs> Throw me gonna, a line. Yeah. <laughs> Stop that. me before I kill again. Yeah. Um, along the way, you fall in love with Brazilian music. Uh, you take some trips down to Brazil. Yep. Uh, you pray, play with the Brazilians. Uh, you know, I, I love uh, uh, Bossa Nova. There's so many great styles of music in Brazil. More man. great so, changes, really great changes, and uh, often seem very uh, docile until you get into that, right? Well, but, it, uh, I, yeah, I went down there... Um, with uh, with a with a little junket as they sometimes musical junket as they sometimes call it, uh, uh, Moriel, uh, the father, Dutch, Dutch, yeah, Dutch came down with us and brought a chef whose name I can't remember, a fellow named Jack Abear, whom your daddy knew was piano player and also a scientist out at that LSU oh, okay. lab out there in uh, Robert E. Lee area. Okay, uh, but. We went down there for two weeks, played a week in Rio and a week in Sao Paulo. And man, from the minute I stepped off the plane, there was no jetway like we have now. You stepped out onto the tarmac. And really, seriously, something shot up through the soles of my feet when I stepped off the plane. And I immediately wanted to know everything I could about it. Now, I'd heard Cannonball. Of course, I'd heard Stan Getz and, and all the, you know, the, the Jobim hits and all uh-huh. that. And I'd heard Cannonball. He was doing quite a bit of Brazilian music in the in the uh, that have been early seventies. Uh-huh. So uh, Milton Nascimento, right? right, right. So I really was interested in where this stuff came from. Lo and behold, I get the chance to go down there. Uh, so I started checking it out. Bought a bunch of records. Bought some percussion instruments. You know, uh, went back a second time, and then after that, uh, long about ninety six, I. I met a lady who really wanted to know more about New Orleans music. So we kind of started to foster each other's research projects, Uh if you will. I ended up going down there after 2000. After 2000, I I would go almost every year uh, until about 2011 was the last trip. And uh, that's the time I met this woman from from Michigan who went to Louisiana Tech and plays great woodwinds. Right. So I really got into it then. Made a couple of records. One in Brazil with Brazilian music where we where we treated New Orleans standards. Oh, cool. So we did a, a thing on the Saints, I know, uh, in, in seven. Was it seven? Uh, may not have been seven. That's too obvious. It was called a, a jongo, a they call it. Uh-huh. It's almost a Cuban rhythm, uh-huh. but not quite. Right. Had a killer bass line that I wrote in F, and the bass player says, if you wrote this in E, 
It would be so nice. Yeah, right. So I said, <laughs> It'd be so much easier yeah, to play. <laughs> I want to play in. I know you can. He's, a, he's with the symphony, man. <laughs> right. And I said, I know you can play this. I, I'd really like to it do it in my key of D. It just sound as good. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh, it sounded good in F, oh, okay, baby. It sounded sorry, great in F, right. but an E was the, you know, you're right. only ever a half step away from heaven. Right. But anyway, <laughs> those are two fun records. And uh, one in Brazil with that killer rhythm section. Nice. And then one with another killer rhythm section here. Mike Limler, oh. uh, Wayne Morrow, Eric Lucero on trumpet, oh, Rick yeah. Trollson. Um, All my bandmates, Mike Lumler, you know, I, I play... Tom, Tommy Seipel. Oh, man. Nice, nice. Brazilians nice. is the name of that. Nice, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, love, love uh, uh, Mike, man. Mike's play, both of them. Yeah, Mike and Matt. Yeah, Mike yeah, and yeah, Matt. Yeah, I, I was at, uh, at Loyola with Matt, but then I play still all the time with Susan Cowsill with, with uh, Mike. Ah, Michael. nice. He's what a what a prince, both yeah, those guys. Well, well so uh, we're we're wrapping up here, and, and so they can find you now. The 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 last ten years or so, you're you're in, on the staff band with the uh, the World War II Museum. Nearly ten years. I still continue to do shows. I go run out with some uh, uh, contractors uh, out of Alabama, actually, and they book the whole Gulf Coast for the Temps, the Tops, OJ's. Things like that. Playing all the casinos? Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool, man. So I go out and do that. The occasional uh, Elvis uh, impersonator. The occasional uh, show. If I can get in a pit, I love working, doing pit work still, because I get to drag out all the other tubing, you know? Um, and uh, the, the museum is fun, because I love the music from the 40s, and we're really trying to do an honest job right? of recreating that music. Um, well, like anything, beyond if, you, the clothes. if you do it correctly... It's really good. If Beautiful you stuff. if you do it in a hacky way, you can turn anything into shit. And as painful as a musician, <laughs> if you're doing in the mood and you don't really know where it came from, right? Because you're going to do it a bunch. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that there's a way that this music is supposed to be played, yeah. and, and if you and play I've it that been way, to learning that, so uh, my musical it's, tastes run as yours do. Because it's always so fun if you do something that's real, like right. the way this music was meant to, to, to be played. Then, and besides just playing it correctly, you almost tap into the people who made this music. And that gets me back to the, uh, another great thing about both of our careers is we got to play with guys who played in a way that no one will ever play like mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. These drummers... Uh, who had uh, who grew up, you know, listened to uh, Gene Krupa or you know the guys that they listened to, and had a certain feel on the snare drum, and you know, just play a great two beat. Yeah, yeah, and but all these different kinds of two beats, right. not just it's not just one kind. Like, yeah. uh, I think it happened to you too, maybe because of your dad, maybe because you you showed talent too at an early age, but. I got to play, I always got to play with musicians older than myself. And better. And, well, obviously, and, and, and they who, had experience. Who, and who took an interest in you and, and pulled you aside and said, whatever else is going on, understand that you could do this. This, there you go. this could be something for you. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Stay on your horn and Men all everything. Those good, true mentors. Yeah, yeah. And then told me how to stay out of trouble, told me how to make the gig and keep the gig. Right, right. Because that's one thing nowadays, I think uh, some folks, young people, will get a job, even a job, and you keep it for two months and you go on to something else and you go on to something else. Well, you know, sometimes you just got to stay at the one you're doing until you figure out how to do it right. (laughs) Then you move on. (laughs) 
And uh, you know, so, That's sometimes an old man speaking sometimes here. that that uh, that line of opportunities will run out. So, so don't don't run through it too quickly. That's right. Well, uh, man, uh, we could obviously talk forever, Ray. Uh, we could keep going. You're <laughs> but, right. But uh, you know, this is. Uh, apologize yeah. for the digression. Oh no, no, that's 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 the best part of the Trouble Men podcast. Okay, excellent. So uh, for Manny <laughs> Chevrolet and our guest, Mr. Ray Moore, I am Renee Coleman, and as always in the Trouble Men podcast, we like to say, trouble never ends, but the struggle continues. Good night. Pack up all the cans and move Here I go singing low Bye, bye, blackbird Where somebody wakes for me Sugar sweet and so is she Talking about your bird Bye, bye The one here can love and understand me What a hard luck story Stay all hand to me Take the bed, light, light, I'll be home tomorrow night Talking about the bed, bye-bye Oh, back and forth again and there I go singing low Bye-bye, blackbird Where somebody wakes for me, sugar sweet and so is she Talking about the bed, bye-bye one here can love and understand me What a hot luck story they all have to be Bed to bed, like the light I'll be home tomorrow night Bed, bed, bye, 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 bye Talking about the bed, talking about the bed.